Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, y'all. Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume. But it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the UFO Happy Hour, featuring Rob Christofferson of the Our Strange Skies podcast. Here's the thing about that case. That case is charming as hell, as opposed to Billy Meyer, who is not charming in the slightest. <laughs> Joe Simonton, I would listen to that man if he was still alive today. Tell me all about his, his alien pancakes. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. We are tipping back a few brews, and we are just going to chat the night away. We've got some listener questions that we're going to answer, and today I am so excited to be doing this with my good buddy, my colleague, and my fellow podcaster, Rob Christofferson of the Our Strange Skies podcast. Rob, what's going on, my man? Not too much, you know, just a, just a chill night, kicking back some brews, talking about UFOs. Uh, so thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am kicking back a hearty bottle of Labatt Blue, my beer of choice. Oh, I love it. You know, not many people know Labatt outside of, you know, the East Coast and Canada. So to hear that is just, you know, making my heart warm up, my man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, um, everybody goes to Budweiser in America, but Labatt is like... Budweiser, but a little bit lighter, so you're not like kicking your butt by like eight o'clock at night. So that's why I. That's why you go with Labatt. It's it's great. Uh, it's so good. And it just, you know, it reminds me of home so much. I miss New York, and I was home for a few weeks recently, and that's all I drank was Labatt. So it tasted good, tastes like home, and uh, I'm, I'm very jealous right now. I am getting a little fancy out here in Los Angeles. <laughs> I am drinking, uh, this is from Modern Times Brewery right here in L.A. It's called Blazing World. I thought that was very appropriate for tonight. Uh, it's an amber ale, a little fruity, a little hoppy, a lot more hoppy for an ale, to be honest. I thought maybe it was an IPA, but which I usually hate. I, li I like yeah. the darker stuff. I like the ambers. Uh, but this is pretty good, so I'm going to go with this. You know, it's it's 95 degrees here. I'm, I'm recording in my mini studio which many people know is just my closet. So uh, 
So to have a nice cold light beer, I think that's the perfect way to get this thing going. Absolutely, man. So we decided to do this because, dude, we talk off air so much about our grievances with things that go on (laughs) in the UFO field. And if there's one thorn in the side that has been bothering both of us, I want to get this out of the way before we get to the listener questions, which I think is going to be really fun. But we're going to have what I'm calling a mummy slash skeleton party right now. So let's take a drink and let's prepare for this. Ah, So let's start with the 2003 case. This is the Atacama skeleton. How much knowledge do you have on this one, man? Because I remember when this first started and I remember when the first images started going around about it. And I I will admit it was extremely compelling and pretty interesting. But then I saw who was connected to this case. So what do you (laughs) know about our little Atacama baby here? So it was discovered in 2003 in uh, – it was in a Chilean town near the Atacama Desert. It was found by a guy named Oscar Munoz, and he ended up selling it to a Spanish businessman. And eventually there were people that got wind of it. One notable individual, Mr. Stephen Greer, who um, – how do we uh, – uh, we're not fans. Let's just put it that way. We're not <laughs> – Sorry. Uh, I'm going to have to clean that up. You were saying? We're not fans of, of, of this individual, but on, uh, on one of his documentaries, what, what the heck documentary was that? It wasn't it was, the latest uh, one. Serious. Was it? Yeah, it was. A, yeah, it was serious. And let me tell you, he was seriously talking about how this thing was an alien. Um, nice pun. It, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, no matter what, I mean, if you're a scientist and in the biologies, yeah. if this is, we know this is an organism, it's not right. matched up to any primate, right. any ancient hominid, any modern primate, anything that is known. So it's, it's an unknown. So right. That's what discovery is about. And so, you know, the point I make to people is that so let it go where it goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a short skeleton. It's only uh, I think like fifteen or sixteen inches long. Yeah. And eventually, Gary Nolan and his team actually did DNA studies on the skeleton. They found it to be you know human because we've never had alien bodies. I don't believe we've ever had alien bodies, and it certainly didn't look alien to me. It just looked like a child that obviously had some problems, some deformities of some kind. And now Gary Nolan is under fire for for testing the skeleton, its DNA, because they went about it uh, unethically and it, it... This thing is just a disaster all the way around. Absolutely. You know, and... The thing is, this thing has been haunting us forever now. We, we thought mm-hmm. it was kind of done, and now, you know, once once they once they sort of, I'm going to put that in quotes, definitively said this was human, this was a mm-hmm. stillborn of a a a female. Stephen Greer and his cronies they refused to give up on this thing. You know, yeah. they, they they said we gotta give this thing back. Like, this is so unethical that we keep doing this. And Greer went so far as to say that this was a cover-up within the scientific community. Yeah. Dude, this is, this is disgusting. It's, it's it immoral, is. and it's just plain stupid. I, I can't even believe 
that this is up for debate in the UFO community still. And I can't believe people like Carol Sue Rosin promote Greer's actions with this thing. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, um, I, I used to respect this woman, and to see that she's doing this, it just it disheartens me so much. Yeah, because it it precludes the fact, like, we need to stop dehumanizing whatever we find in archaeological digs in order to get us to that next step where we think we discovered alien life. It is one of the most disgusting things I have ever come across. It is highly unethical, and it just gets my blood boiling. It's a 200-year-old skeleton of a stillborn child, and... Let's be honest. To begin with, Gary Nolan thought this thing was eight years old. What, like, what? Why? What would make you think it's eight years old? But look, there was a, a recent article. It just came out like a couple days ago, and I forget what who put, a, put put the article out. But basically, saying like you can look at features of the skeleton and say it's one hundred percent human. It's it's a child. Like, what are these people thinking? And this is not the only case of this. I mean, oh God! Right? There are this <laughs> there was, are two others. Two thousand three, two thousand three. This is when this sort of started. So we learned our lesson, right? Right, Rob? We're not. We're, we would never do this again. No, 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 we we didn't. We didn't learn our our lesson at all. Um, of course, we have uh, the Peruvian mummies that mm-hmm. uh, were recently discovered. I forget how long ago now, maybe a couple years ago now, that had they had deformities. They had three fingers and I believe three toes, and they had uh, supposedly elongated heads. And for the longest time, they're touting these as alien mummies, alien. Mummies. Mummies. Nazca, Peru. And yeah. uh, so, yeah, that was, I believe it was either the tail end of 2016 or 2017, maybe, even early yeah. when this came about. And uh, so, who was first connected to this? Because this guy is going to come up in our next one as well. Um, <laughs> our favorite person from Mexico City, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jaime Musan. My name is Jaime Maussan. I am an investigative journalist, and I've been working as a journalist for the last 47 years of my life. Can he's you one hear of your that? favorites. <laughs> he's one of your favorites. I know he's one of your favorites. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sound of 7,000 people clapping for him at his Be Witness event. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh <laughs> So the Nazca Peru mummy rob this what they sort of deduced from this and I know there's still tests being done on this um they believe that this was almost an amalgamation of different body parts from different mummies that were infused yeah. together this if you look at the photos of this thing it's got like this like white powdery plaster over it the mummies are covered completely in this white dust but it's not just white dust it's uh, something that is going to really uh, dry the skin and the skin will be able to survive for so many years and they say this is what you know is masking that different body parts are put together so whatever this thing is it seems like there were you know grave robbers who kind of took piece by piece and legoed this thing together maybe hoping someone would find it someday and someone did find it and i know that jaime put a lot of money into this you know to get the thing but again we are dealing with the remains of human beings and touting this as aliens. Now, 
No, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, man. Because like, and I mean, like, it wasn't just Jaime. It was Gaia.com. Gaia is completely committed to the story. We're going to let you know if it's human, if it's non-human. Like I said, our whole mission is just pure curiosity. What could it be? And to honestly give a journalistic approach to that, that is our mission. And that's what we hope to bring to you. Yes. They, they had thank you, those, thank you. the documentary, the series of documentaries about it. And it's just like, did you guys even bother to, to like go through genetic testing before you just touted this thing as an alien? And, and that frustrates me more than anything. That's, that's not even good science. That's not even science at all. It's just speculation. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And for a price, you get to follow, you know, their discoveries as they make them. This is just the beginning. This is not the end. Not even with the samples. There is so much more to come. Newsflash, it's body parts from humans. Okay, so the most frustrating one out of these for me, man, was actually a couple years before the Peru mm. Mummy. And this was, drumroll please. <laughs> The Roswell Slides. How nostalgic at this point. Um, Yeah, right? (laughs) So, this sort of started um, almost a year before the quote-unquote Roswell Slides came out, when Mr. Tom Carey, one of Mm. the original investigators most well-known on the Roswell case, said at an event, we have a body, and we have proof. So this kind of went under the radar, but I remember reading about it and I was like, holy shit, what, what? He's just going to leave us hanging like that? And that, that really got the UFO community buzz, you know, that Tom Carey, one of the lead investigators on Roswell was saying that we have a body and Mm -hmm. then it kind of went silent for a while. Do you remember that? Yep. Yep. They didn't, nothing, nothing came out and then, oh God. Oh god. And then it all came out. <laughs> yeah. Um well for for one thing, okay, let's just let's just t- describe this this photo of this mummy. Right. It's under glass, clearly under glass. It's also in a museum. You could tell it's in a museum. And I don't get where the alien portion comes from. It's like even if you go on the description of the bodies that were supposedly found at Roswell, it is way too short for that. Right. Exactly. Well, okay, and even even like you said, under glass in a museum with a placard. Yeah, placard. And uh, you could tell that the placard was uh I believe it was rearranged or moved so you couldn't actually see what it said it, mm-hmm. it, because in the photo you can see that it's just white there's nothing you can discern from it so obviously that was moved but carrie what are you thinking man like you just shot yourself in the foot like the guy one of the guys that gave us the essential timeline to roswell and you and you go and you present crap like this your credibility is down the tubes and 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 for me like roswell is one of those things like when somebody asks me to recommend them a book like y- y- you give them the starter book like you give them something that will maybe wet their whistle or something like that that's kind of what roswell is cuz mm-hmm. th- th- there's so much crap to roswell so much controversy that it's it's almost a joke now. At least it is to me. I mean, there may be some people that are finding new avenues and stuff. Like Nick Redfern's stuff is great, right? You know, yeah. it's it's an interesting theory that you know is is completely plausible. But I I think like 
the Roswell thing, we just I, people got to stop acting like they found the new hip thing. We found the bodies. Like, no, we haven't. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's the thing, man. Like, so this whole debacle went down. Jaime Musan rented out this huge auditorium, and it was Mexico City, right? Yeah. Uh, supposedly there were seven thousand or so people there. Uh, he packed the place because he's really he's a celebrity there, and he said that they had an alien body. They had definitive proof that they found the Roswell alien, and there's proof. Done. Boom. You witness, witness the change of history. Hire your pay-per-view service now so you can enjoy the biggest event of all time. Jaime Maussan brings to you the evidence that extraterrestrial beings and the UFO phenomenon are a reality on our planet, and that in 1947, people who came from the depths of the cosmos were recovered. And also, you could pay online to watch the entire event. This event lasted four and a half hours to show one fucking slide. Oh my god. So it was David Ike level madness. <laughs> uh, it it reminded me of like the days of like, you know, the 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 freak shows, the circus, yeah. you know, the circus was in town that day for for this event. And again, you mentioned Tom Carey. Let's not forget Don Schmidt being involved with this as well. Again, yeah. the all-star Roswell people. And here's the thing with this one, Rob, I don't know about you, I still am questioning whether Carrie and Schmidt, like, if they really genuinely thought this was authentic and this was going to be it, or if they knew all along that this was all a guise of this Adam Dew character who brought the slides forward was going to make this documentary about the slides, and that never came to be, apparently. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I, I think Dew was behind this the whole time and duped everybody, probably made off with a shit ton of money, but at the end of the day, This one really, really hurt the UFO community for a while. You know, it was a Mm -hmm. huge joke in the mainstream, and it was a huge joke to us as well. You know, Don Schmidt, I will give him credit, you know, wrote a really long apology about it and said, I I was... I, I just got caught up in it. I got excited. And, you know, this is just a lesson I've learned. That's okay, dude. But how many lessons do you have to learn before you can say, like, we don't have bodies? Like, give up. Right. We're we're over 70 years now. You could stop with the bodies thing. You could just stop, stop it. <laughs> and they said they couldn't decipher that placard we were talking about. Somebody yeah. did it a day later after the slide was out to the public. A day later. <laughs> You're telling me you guys investigated this slide for years to see its authenticity, and in a day, a group of people was able to... Ah, yeah, ah. it's it, uh, it's it's like, we need to stop putting stock in the alien mummy thing. Yep. We just need to stop it. Just listen, like, we don't even know what an alien is. We just have this massive pop cultural thing where the alien has an enlarged head almond shaped eyes and that's that's the only alien that we have like no we need to we need to stop we've never we don't have physical proof of an alien we just don't like if you want to go so far as to say that neil armstrong was an alien for stepping foot on the moon go ahead go ahead that's fine i like that's fine yeah but like other than that we just need to stop speculating that 
human bodies found in the desert because these were all found in the desert. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just human bodies found in the desert. Don't speculate they're aliens, people. Please yeah. do not speculate they're aliens. It's... We don't have physical proof of an alien. Just stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. You know what? I, I, I have nothing to add to that. Just stop it. All right, my man. So moving on to another discussion you and I have had off air, the term UFO. Now, this is a big one under contention. As of late, I'd say, especially after Hillary Clinton, you know, went public with UAP in, mm-hmm. in, in the press, you know, leading up to uh, the election night. And, and, you know, there's a new name. It's Unexplained Aerial Phenomenon. Unexplained aerial phenomena, yep, really? Yep, UAP. That's the latest nomenclature. I so- like the old one. I like UFO. I don't know why. So this one, this one, it's hard because we're so, so conditioned to the acronym UFO when it comes to this topic, but it's really not good anymore for what we're dealing with. So I'm going to let you take the lead on this one because this was, this was one you brought up to me first and foremost. So yeah, why isn't it, why is it inadequate? There we go. Well, if we go back to the origins, we go back to 52 and we're going to Project Blue Book and they were kind of looking for a new term to describe these because flying saucers just wasn't cutting it because, I mean, there's so much ridicule to the term and not everything was a saucer. So it might have been Rupelt himself that came up with the term unidentified flying object. Mm-hmm. And, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem that I have with the term is is the word object. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the problem is, is that you've, you've now front loaded the term. If we're taking UFOs into this larger context of something that may not be 100% physical, it doesn't totally fall in the realm of an object. It's it's something else beyond that. So for me, object just – it's too limiting as to what a UFO could be. And also, too, the way that people throw around the term UFO, I don't know if they totally understand it because, like, what I'll hear in conversations all the time is, like – well, it was unidentified and it was flying, so it's got to be a UFO. And like, no, that's not what the term UFO means. That's not what its intention was. The intention was, and I think Heine, the way Heineck put it was, you see something in the sky uh, that remains unidentified long enough for someone to write a report about it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or something like that. But oh, God, I love is, him. Yeah, it's like not everything that's in the sky that you see is a UFO. It has the potential to be a UFO, but unless you got eyes and ears on it, it, and it's totally been investigated, then it's not really a UFO. I mean, even if you go to Hynek's long, drawn-out definition of a UFO in the UFO uh, experience, it's there's working parts there. I mean, you got the person that sees it, you've got, you got the object itself, and then the person that uh, investigates it. So it's a little more complicated than we, than, than we make it out to be, but also it's just very limiting because, yeah, objects realistically a ufo you're only observing it with one sense most of the time yeah i mean sometimes you hear you hear something you get two but like that's pretty much it so i feel like ufo is definitely limiting to where people like john keel jacques valet uh even heineck towards the middle 70s on were were you know working with this and we're theorizing about it like it's 
object is just a little too limiting for me. And, you know, maybe maybe Clinton was a little too, you know, a little too brash. You need to dial it back <laughs> a bit. You're not in the community, lady. Yeah, she wishes. She wishes. Yeah. Yeah, just because you hang with John Podesta doesn't mean you're part of this. Stop it. I know. (laughs) Fear of missing out on her part. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I guess, you know, my question for you, Rob, would be then, what what should we call them? If we're not going to use UFO anymore because of all the baggage that comes with that, what should we call these things? Or should we just use all different acronyms at this point? I mean, I'm all for, like singling in and uh, expediting but yeah what what do we do if we can't use this term that we've had for so long right well i mean uap's uh, it's a good term in in terms of it's not it, it's broad it's it's not limiting mm-hmm. it's it's good to go with but maybe there is another term out there maybe we'll come across it down the line but i i think uap is a good start Maybe we could refine it down the line, but I mean, it's, a, it's a good start. It is a good start because you change the O to P for phenomena, but then you still have the aerial thing, you know? Yeah. So yeah. what about what about are the objects seen underwater or this and that? Yeah, it's just it could go a million different ways. So, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you think about it, too, like when we call them, you know, abductions, that's also a limiting term, too, because... We don't fully know what's going on there, and we can't always document that the people that are being abducted have actually left physically, so, you know, that's another tough one, too. So It is, yeah. We're so, you know, in the UFO field in general, I'd say we, we're stuck with these terms that we, a lot of the older guard, I would say, refuse to adapt to or evolve with. So it's hard. It's hard because, you know, abductions and UFOs, we've, we've dealt with this for so long, you know, but how do we get the field, quote unquote, uh, to move forward with these new terms? I guess we just do it one researcher at a time and... Hope the rest will follow. And if not, you know, going to leave you in the dust, guys. I'm sorry. Guys and girls. <laughs> I mean, that's why this field needs younger people, more young people to, you know, get some new, inject some new life into this. You know, it's, it's definitely needed at this point. Because when you look at the phenomenon from the course of, like, the late 1800s all the way to now, it's evolved on its own. It's evolved to suit, like kind of our needs and what we need to perceive it as. So why shouldn't we evolve with it? I love that. Well, you did mention Heineck a couple times, and I have to ask you on the spot here. We had, this past week, a trailer released for the new history television show based on true events, it claims, called Uh Project (laughs) Blue Book, with our UFO dad as the main (laughs) character. We have a situation in West Virginia. Family reported seeing something falling from the sky. I'll get down there right away. I need you to meet someone first. Name's Dr. Alan Hynek. You want me to investigate flying saucers? I want you to help me prove to the public the truth. They don't exist. So I have to ask you, you being probably the biggest Hynek fan I have ever met in my life, what did you think, man? What did you think when you saw this trailer? I um the first thing that I thought was I need to throw my phone, just like throw it across the room because I was I I was not thrilled with it. For the Heineck aficionados, you're not going to find a lot good about this. Like 
the first thing, like one of the first things this shows is the Flatwoods monster, which Pinnick did not investigate. Right. <laughs> and um, other things, uh, Heineck never saw alien bodies in any bunkers. Heineck never personally saw a UFO up close and, and all that stuff. That being said, if I could divorce myself from the fact that this is J. Allen Hynek, I might be able to enjoy this, but it's going to be hard. Agreed. This show looks slick. It looks uh, very well written, at least from the dialogue I heard in the trailer. And again, like kudos on them for finding some obscure cases. Flatwoods, Lubbock Lights, I saw in there Mm -hmm. a little bit. What else did we have? A few few others. But again, you know, like the, the... the fact that they say based on true events, yes, but having nothing to do with your main character. That, that, that is where I have a problem. Why couldn't they have just used some fictional character instead of taking the legacy of a hero in the UFO field and beyond, even the astronomy field, and sully his name with this fictional account? The, the case history, the actual case history, is interesting enough why, why yeah. do we have to add all this other stuff to it? But again, being in the entertainment field myself, I understand that artistic license and that creative process, you have to you have to divorce yourself from facts sometimes. But in this case, we personally both have spoken to and reviewed the book of Mark O'Connell. Yeah, the- Close Encounters, man. It's it's a phenomenal book. I mean, it, it, it you could – there's a great story in there. Mm-hmm. Like, and he investigated a number of great cases. I mean, the, like, I think one of my favorite facts from that book is that when he was going to investigate Lonnie Zamora's sighting, their car breaks down. He's hitchhiking all the way into Socorro because <laughs> he's not going to wait around. Yeah. Like – there's so many great cases from 47 all the way up to 69 if you want to go there and even beyond you know with QFOS and and all the stuff they were doing i don't understand why you need to embellish because like if you look at the tone of the trailer a bit it almost kind of has a tiny bit of a horror element to it <laughs> like it, it's it's suspenseful but it's like trying to like rope you in because like the first shot is of this one guy in his car and then it automatically just shuts down and then bam there's a blue beam of light and you know like i don't think we need to go at it from a horror element because there aren't a lot of good like even the alien abduction horror movies there aren't a lot of good ones right (laughs) so like there's enough like high strangeness on its own is a frightening concept uh when you think about it and and the fact that it just does not most of what happens just does not fit into your concept of what things are with that being said i can kind of also understand too at the same time because i high strangeness is not something that you could probably easily film a perfect example is uh the mothman prophecies if you look at that movie like uh and, and you know i'm i'm good friends with rich adam and i've talked to him about the script and he's like they had to edit so much of that script that, you know, the really scary stuff they left out because it didn't make any sense. So mm. high strangeness, not an easy thing to film. I'll watch it begrudgingly and I'm 
probably going to be angry about it, but you know what? A tiny bit of me will enjoy this. I guarantee it. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, man. You know, we are UFO fanboys when it really comes down to it. Yes, we're researchers. Yes, we're investigators. Yes, we're podcasters. But at the end of the day, like, we're fanboys of UFOs. We really are. And I mm-hmm. embrace that full-heartedly. And, you know, even just hearing Heineck, hearing yep. that name on mainstream television, like, I got chills. And... Yep. I got chills when the the um, Flatwoods monster scene played out in the trailer. I'm just like, oh my god, this is so cool. So at yeah. the end of the day, I'm going to watch it, and I'm probably going to enjoy it, because it looks entertaining as hell. And mm-hmm. there are going to be those cherry-picking moments where we're going to be like, oh, Mantel, oh, Roswell, oh, uh, Socorro, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's going to happen and we're going to be excited. And then you and I and the other researchers are going to pick out the things that were wrong and we're going to bitterly talk about it with one another. And that's that's what television is. There's a million podcasts out there about every television show you can think of. And that's what they do. So maybe we'll have to do that. A little Project Blue Book uh, mini-sode thing once this thing starts. But um, oh, yeah. I think it'll be fun. But again, and at the end of the day, the fact that Heineck is getting out there to the mainstream and the UFO topic, again, I'm all for it, even if it is masked in entertainment and some inaccuracies. I'm still going to watch it, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to complain about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, my man. So let's move on to some listener questions. I put this out a few days ago to see if anyone would would bite, and we got some really interesting questions from listeners of both your show, the Our Strange Skies podcast, and Somewhere in the Skies. So I want to start with, um, let's see, let's see what I got here. This one is from Kevin. And he asks, is it possible that the creation of Space Force, pew pew, was inspired (laughs) by intel about an alien threat? So what are your thoughts on this, this whole Space Force thing that Trump is doing? My administration is reclaiming America's heritage as the world's greatest spacefaring nation. The essence of the American character is to explore new horizons and to tame new frontiers. But our destiny beyond the Earth is not only a matter of national identity, but a matter of national security. So important for our military. So important. And people don't talk about it. When it comes to defending America, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. We must have American dominance in space. Do you have any thoughts on this? Like, I have this picture in my head of, of somebody in Trump's cabinet, like, playing, like, footage of, of Gary McKinnon talking about, you know, the, uh, whatever the heck project he was talking about. Off and planet officers, I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah, non-terrestrial officers, there that's right. Yeah. Um, and talking about all this crazy crap, and then, you know, you've got the, uh, the the truthers coming forward and talking about their service and our our space force that we already apparently have and i i really i really don't know maybe the man just wants like to dominate the entire universe <laughs> his ego might be that big i don't know but it was i i um 
I'm trying to remember exactly what I did that day. I think I laughed for about five minutes uh-huh. when I saw the video because I'm like, I understand how my country works and I understand that the only way this is going to happen is if Congress approves it. We we already spend enough on you know our military budget. There's no way you're going to be able to ask people to pay. You're talking trillions more. There's no way that you could get that off the ground without you know taxing people like crazy. Here's As an idea. His- yeah. Why don't they charge every person that goes to this uh, this big military parade he's putting on? Charge them each, like you know, forty five million each ahead, maybe that that could work. <laughs> that you know that that's not a bad strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Before I go any further, man, I do want to say I have nothing but respect for our military. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, please, n- listeners, don't take that as an offense. No. I, I I highly respect them. Yes, they deserve a parade. If it's the best way to spend our money, that's a different question. But yeah, anyways, I interrupted. No, that's it's all good. Um, I just don't understand what would inspire someone to say we need a space force maybe this is like you know that leftover reagan era star wars stuff that he's you know all giddy about or something well yeah i don't know i mean they they have been saying that this actually has been long before trump was in office that this was a possibility and that a lot of a lot of people thought it was a good idea including neil degrasse tyson who actually responded and said i think it's a good idea he said you know in case there's asteroids that ever reach the earth like at least there's a contingency plan ready for something like that, mm-hmm. 24-7, monitoring it, ready to blow it up if need be. He said, you know, in terms of, like, science and astronomy, like, this is a good idea. But again, Space Force, it's military branch. So it's just funneling more money into the military-industrial complex, if you think about it, and money that we don't have, like you said. So... Mm-hmm. that's kind of my thoughts on it. I'm on the fence. You know, I'd rather explore space, you know, and help save our planet rather than militarize it even more. Yeah, here's a a better idea. Why don't you increase NASA's funding? How about we do that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm all for it. You know, instead of cutting the funding, how about you give more money? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Let's see. Kevin also asks, what do other countries say about UFOs and aliens? Which country do you guys think is most open to disclosure? What do you think, Rob? Uh, disclosure. That fun, <laughs> fun word. Um, I, I've kind of come down to this theory that I don't think disclosure is a real thing because I don't think our military knows anything about UFOs. So it's mm. kind of just like that buzz term you throw around. Just because, like, automatically your government has to know more. I don't think there's any government on this planet that knows any more than any of us. But if you look at, even in countries like Mexico, you look at England, you the United Kingdom, uh, you look at uh, Belgium, all these places are a hell of a lot more open about it than than we are. And I don't think disclosure is going to be a thing that any government's going to give to us. It's just I don't think they know what we think they know. I think they know maybe, if anything, a tiny bit more, but nothing. I don't think they know anything substantial. I would have to agree. Yeah, the the only place I can really think of that really kind of looked into it was France. <laughs> you know, yeah. with Guy Pan, yeah. Sepra, you know, they were the most open about it in terms yeah, of the investigating Yeah, the Yep. 
Yep, exactly. Brazil, like you mentioned as well, uh, Mexico, like they all embrace the topic of UFOs and aliens. Uh, Whether or not like disclosure is going to happen through another country, I don't know. But like you said, I agree. I don't think our military and or government, that big overarching word government, we have to remember how compartmentalized it actually is, um, that they don't know. But my friend Robbie Graham says they may not know what's going on out there or can control it, but they control the information that can get to the public. So that's kind of where I leave that. I don't know. Yeah, not just the information, but the way that it's perceived. Yes. it's There's definitely that aspect that I, I don't think a lot of people give consideration to. But like, look at popular culture that's been formed. I mean, that's it's not formed in like really any kind of truth. It's just gray alien heads. And uh, actually, most of the time they're green now, even though nobody reports ever seeing green aliens. I, so. <laughs> I do wonder where that sort of started. I don't know. Little green men. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, okay, so let's see. Kevin's next question. Kevin Kevin really, really he, uh, hit it on the He's got a bunch of them. He did. <laughs> I love it. Locked and loaded. According to Cheryl Costa's data, UFO sightings have dropped off in recent years. Could this be due to lack of reporting, or do you think our technology has advanced to the point where they may be more cautious to approach? Hmm. That's um, a really good question. I think... What it comes down to is more people aren't reporting their UFO sightings. And uh, to me, I think, you know, there are uh, some factors to that. I I discussed some of it on my podcast. When you, like when MUFON and and the whole John Ventre thing, like I get that people have their own views and I get how other people have a right to express those views. But at the same time, if you want to harbor someone in your organization who expresses those views, well, hey, guess what? There's going to be a certain sector of people that aren't going to want to report UFOs to your organization. You mean everyone but white males? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and that's problematic. That makes your data problematic. That makes it skewed quite a bit. And if you look at the reporting centers, look at MUFON's website. It is the most dated thing I think I have ever seen. I don't think it's been updated since probably the early 2000s. And in having experience with their CMS, it looks god-awful. It, it, it really needs updating <laughs> badly. Um, and I mean, even New Fork. Their website, like, they pretty much want you to fill a PDF out and send it to them. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, like, um... It's a PDF for a reason. Yeah, this generation, don't you understand? We're we're on phones and stuff. It's instant. Like, why why has nobody upgraded this thing? And sure, I'm sure a portion of it comes down to money, but you'd figure MUFON, of all places, that, yeah, maybe they don't... Then maybe they're not swimming in it, but they're gotta be. They gotta have enough money to upgrade their system. I yeah, mean, I mean, where is the membership dues going? You know yeah, what I exactly. mean? Something like New Fork. You've got a one man band in a you know a abandoned 
dismissal silo, taking all these reports. Like, I get that. He, he's, he's on the older side. He doesn't, he probably isn't tech savvy when it comes to like the website. Like, you leave the dude messages on his answering machine to report these things. Yeah. You know, that's how you do it if you're not going, filling out a PDF online. But in terms of MUFON, you're right, man. Like, they have, clearly have people who are tech savvy within the organization and they have funds and it, it, you're right. It, it's just, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. But you know what? I, in terms of like his point of have they have the reports dropped off or has the activity dropped off? That's another big one that I kind of was looking at. I think people are looking to the skies less too. The now and yeah. days. And of course that's also going to dramatically affect reporting. If they're not actually looking in the sky and seeing things, I also think that it's quite possible that if some sort of intelligence has and is visiting our planet, maybe they've started to move on at this point. You know, that's kind of what the the comedic episode of the X-Files was in this season 11. The aliens finally came down and told Mulder, um, yeah, we're here, but we're never coming back. We've sort of given up on you guys. So <laughs> goodbye. Good luck. <laughs> See ya. Um, so I thought that was a brilliant way to sort of cap off the X-Files. That should have been their finale. But maybe it's true. Maybe we aren't as, you know, such great importance to this Galactic Federation any longer. Or maybe they're just on vacation. What if, what if the, well, I imagine it's not easy coming all the way here, adapting to our atmosphere, trying to stay off radars, be elusive, abduct people. Maybe they just needed a really good vacation. Maybe they're, you know, on Venus or something. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it, it's, it's a thing. But like when you think about like the um, the all time great cases going back the last 70 years, how many of them are from the year 2000 and up? Right. Not that many. You you have the Southern Illinois sightings. You have um, O'Hare. Uh, O'Hare. You have Stephenville. Um, and these are just the American sightings. I'm not even talking about uh, the sightings in other countries. But right. like those are the, really the only three that come to mind. Oh, and then maybe Tinley Park. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. because a bunch of people who are coming from Ozfest saw some UFOs. What? I dig it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they weren't on anything at that time. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, you know, like, that's one, one of the things that I miss more than anything. Like, please cancel, please cancel Ancient Aliens. Bring back UFO Hunters. I don't care, you know, how crazy they got on that show, because they did here and there. I would rather have that than Ancient Aliens all day long. <laughs> Agreed. I loved UFO Hunters. For anyone out yeah. there, if you haven't watched the show, please watch it. Please, please go watch it. Um, Bill Burns is fucking crazy, and I love it. <laughs> he is, but, like, you know what? He gets things done with his craziness. I will give him that much. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and he's not afraid to go there. You know, while he's got the skeptical investigators out there actually, like, trying to replicate a UFO event and actually find answers. Aliens. It's aliens. It's aliens. I love it. I love Bill Burns so much. <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Bring back UFO hunters, please. 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 All right. So here's the last one from Kevin. I think we've given Kevin um, his, uh, his time here. This is a good one, too. What planet or moon in our solar system do you think has the best chance of harboring life? This one's interesting. I actually, I, I spoke to Seth Shawstack at AlienCon, maybe, what was mm-hmm. it, like a month ago now? And I actually asked him that same question. So I'm so happy Kevin brought this up. You know, he's the senior astronomer at the SETI Institute, for anyone who doesn't know. Right. And he told me he believes it to be a moon, actually, a moon of Saturn called Enceladus. I, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I, I'm not good with with names. Um, scientists think there are reservoirs of liquid water that lie beneath the frozen surface. And, you know, they're warmed by the gravitational interactions between the moon and other moons on Saturn. Uh, so he thinks that's our best bet. I don't know. Do you, do you have any ideas? Rob, you, you brushed up on your astronomy here? <laughs> not, not really. Like, That's I, why I brought I you on, man. Of, Come on. I know. I know. I, I kind of rail against it a little bit just because, like, uh, I'm, I'm so worn out by the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I'm just like, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't think I, I, we don't have the technology to visit them. Maybe when they come to visit us, we'll figure that out. But it's just it's something that I don't even think about, largely because like at the same time, while it's exciting, we're so I'm so worn out over, hey, the, we found this many planets that could support life in the Goldilocks zone or we found this many stars that could support life. And it's to me, that's almost kind of limiting because your parameters for what life is, is limited to what we are and what we have on this planet and right and while i can totally entertain that to me it's just limiting so whenever i hear new information about uh oh we found a a planet that has water on it and and could totally support life i'm just like cool I, I I dig it. When are the aliens showing up? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we do. We always base it on you know our composition. You know what uh, life on Earth. You know the carbon makeup of us. What? Why does it have to be that? Why can't life thrive on you know a methane planet or or a planet full of arsenic? I don't know. You're right. Though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like just bring me bring me the aliens. Awesome. Kevin, thank you for those questions. Next up is Saul. Saul's got a good one here. If there is one UFO incident or event that you would wish to investigate and solve, if that would be possible, he adds, which would you choose and what do you think the conclusion would be? Yeah, the case that has, oh God, it it has bugged me for years is Lonnie Zamora. And part of the reason why Lonnie Zamora's case gets to me so much is just he's this innocent cop that's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And one of the most charming things about him is that when all is said and done, the guy's upset because he didn't he didn't uh, meet his quota for tickets for the day. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like this is your average Joe has one of the most transformational UFO experiences of his life. And he ends up getting ridiculed off the police force, ends up retiring from the police force. And the thing is, is like when you boil down all the all the evidence, all the facts, you you get to the nitty gritty of it. It's either from Earth or it's not from Earth. Those are the only explanations that are, you know, that could even fit. And, you know, we, we, we know it's a good case because we have a correlated sighting from some family at a gas station that said that, hey, our car was buzzed by a UFO, and when, then when did, ha- 
when did this happen, Rob? I'm sorry. This is the Socorro case, correct? Oh, the Socorro. Yeah, it was in 1964. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, in New Mexico. Um, and uh, yeah, we could just like run down the basics of it for those that that don't know. Why not? Yeah, I you know <laughs> I'm trying to open the show up to uh, a lot of people who may not be familiar with these things. So this might be a good primer for them for sure because yeah. this is one of my favorite cases as well. If you don't mind, I know you have yeah. extensive. Uh, you've done you've done your homework on this one for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So Lonnie Zamora, he's pursuing a car south of town. It's about five forty-five in the afternoon. And all of a sudden, he hears this really loud roaring sound, and he sees this blue light, this blue beam of fire just descending into the desert. At first, he just thinks that it's the uh, the mayor's old dynamite shack, and it's about to explode because you know every you know outskirts of town needs a dynamite shack. So <laughs> he uh, he approaches the dynamite shack and. He sees at first what he believes to be an overturned car because he can see people outside. So, road uh, about a half a mile, and then I stopped my car and got out and looked up, and I could see a white uh, looking object in the distance. I thought it was an overturned car at first, uh, but I got into my patrol car and went up closer to it. And uh, when I started to get out of the car, I could uh, I heard a big roar. As I got to it, I could see uh, a couple of, uh, looked like a couple of uh, coveralls uh, hanging from a clothesline. I couldn't see what it was, but it looked like a couple of coveralls. When he gets closer, what he realizes is, no, it's not an overturned car. It's an egg-shaped object that has landing pods down, and there are two humanoids uh, wearing these white coveralls just outside the craft doing whatever they're doing. And uh, when one of them sees Lonnie Zamora, they get uh, they got this shocked look on their face. They get back into their uh, UFO, and uh, the that blue stream of fire, it lifts the craft up into the air, and then it silently flies off. And Lonnie Zamora, just a really salt-of-the-earth guy, he calls in for backup, and his buddy Sergeant Chavez shows up, and they go and they go looking at the landing site, and they find that there are bush- bushes that are singeing. They find marks in the ground. Yeah, this uh, this case pretty much ruined Lonnie Zamora's life. Yeah. Unfortunately. But... It's it's become kind of a stronger case over the years, and even Jacques Vallée has this nice little anecdote about a UFO sighting from uh, earlier in the day in New York of a of a craft that matches the description. Of course, uh, when Zamora reported it, he talked about seeing some kind of symbol on the side, but uh, this New York farmer that came across it didn't see it. But he did encounter these uh, two humanoid beings, and they told him that they were from Mars and that they wanted fertilizer. <laughs> so so the the farmer goes and uh, gets the fertilizer, and as he's leaving, the craft lifts off and disappears. He brings the fertilizer back, though, and the next morning when he goes out to this uh, plot of land, which he was, um, he was looking for to uh, increase his farmland, he goes back out there. The fertilizer's gone, so... You know, this uh, This is one of those really weird, fun cases that, um, yeah, if if I could solve that, 
I would totally be uh, I would be elated. I would retire. I wouldn't even need to do a podcast anymore. I'd just, you know, uh, go soak <laughs> it up or something. Call it a day. I yeah. love it. I love it, man. That's one of my favorite cases as well. Goofy is all hell, but again, such a straight shooter that you, you can't help but believe this guy. You can't help it. There's another silly case we're going to cover a little later here um, as well. One of the questions yeah. that we have. But um, for me, I think it would have to be Rendlesham. You know, I mm-hmm. was looking for a really obscure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Case, but I kept coming back to Britain's Roswell. This happened in 1980 in Rendlesham Forest, which was between two joint military bases in England. There was three consecutive nights of UFO events in this forest. A ton of military personnel were sent out to investigate it. Uh, there was a craft that was seen hovering above one of the bases, lights coming down over the nuclear bunkers that were secretly nuclear weapons were being housed at one of the bases at the time. Unbeknownst to England, uh, the American-owned base was hiding them. Supposedly a craft landed, a couple officers touched it, and then this thing shot up, disappeared. And it's crazy, man. It's a crazy case. There, it's well documented, but there were so many witnesses to it, and that's what really got me. There's documents, there's audio recordings, there's the first ever lawsuit that was won by one of the officers that involved an actual UFO event as the cause mm-hmm. of the officer's ailments after this all happened. And it, it's just so full of weird shit that, for me... What I think my conclusion with this case would be is that it was some sort of MK Ultra like thing. 
And mm-hmm. I know my mentor, Peter Robbins, if he hears this, is going to hate me for saying that. <laughs> because he did write, like, one of the definitive books on the case, a British bestseller. But the way I look at it, you know, these guys were drugged after the events happened to try to get them to tell the truth about what they'd experienced and whatnot. A lot of the officers said they were in, like, a dreamlike state while it was all happening. And it seemed just so odd so weird and also staged that was another big thing like it almost seemed too good to be true in many ways i I think maybe this was some sort of psychop this was during the cold war this is in the 80s you know some shady shit was going on man but the way it was all handled it, it just to me it seemed like it was almost planned and mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put that. I'm sure there's so much to contradict <laughs> everything I just said. But at the end of the day, it it happened. There's documentation well, of it. There's yeah. audio recordings. Sorry, what were you going to add? Well, like, when you think about it, like, what's the other really famous case from that time that actually shares a lot of features of the Rendlesham case? Cash Landrum. If you look at Cash Landrum, the object that they saw was like it had harsh geometrical patterns. It was like diamond shaped. Right. Whereas in in Rendlesham, it was this like there were like it was like a triangle on top of a triangle. You have the witnesses that both experienced, you know, ill health effects from this object. And they both end up suing the government over this. <laughs> You're right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Cash Landrum. That was in Texas, correct? Yep. yep, it was in Texas, and I think it was like I, I want to say it was like the day when maybe day before, day after. You're right. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, two women, a little boy. They witnessed it, and they all had ailments afterwards: radiation sickness, which also a lot of the people in the Rendlesham case had. And then they went out there with mm-hmm. Geiger counters, and those things were fucking going nuts. I mean, yeah, clearly yeah. there was some sort of technology emitting very unhealthy doses of radiation at both these events so you do really have to wonder you have to wonder i Mm -hmm. I don't know so in terms of that i'd say rendlesham for me it just all seemed too good to be true but if anyone hasn't heard go to youtube right now and type in uh Base Commander Recordings, Rendlesham Forest, or anything, Mm. Charles Halt, Rendlesham Forest, you can hear the audio recordings of the Base Commander doing a play-by-play of what was happening in the forest that night, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying listening to these tapes. So yeah, that's it for me. If I could solve one case, for me, it would have to be Rendlesham. So let's move on to our mutual friend here, Rosie, from the Rabbit Hole Motel podcast. She's got a couple really good ones. And these are actually for you, Rob. So get ready, brother. Buckle yourself up. (laughs) Her first question here is, here's one I think Rob will have something interesting to say. Why do you think 
UFO phenomena have different eras. There's time periods where it seems to be mostly aerial sightings. Then it becomes about abductions for a while. I know he's very interested in how weird the 70s get. It's all like they're fads of some sort. So what do you make of that, man? UFOs throughout the decades. It's kind of like the the Jacques Vallée aspect again, where he talks about how the phenomena changes to fit our worldview in a certain sense. You go from airships in 1896 to 1897, and then it's pretty quiet for a while. And then you go to 42 and the the Battle of Los Angeles, whatever happened there, you know, and, and that's still something that's hotly contested, mostly because we only have one real... Uh, eyewitness that has come forward to actually talk about it and his I believe his name is C. Scott Littleton and he actually wrote a book about what it was like to grow up in Los Angeles around that time so you have that and then stuff yeah stuff just goes crazy in LA they're shooting in the air and um, maybe they get the idea well we'll come back in a few years and see if anything (laughs) has changed so you hit 47 and despite the fact that they were calling them flying saucers. They all weren't saucers. They were discs, yeah. which you, you can call, you know, a spade a spade or whatever. But to me, that's a totally different thing. Uh, from there, they've kind of, you know, stayed within the same, you know, kind of configurations. You had the triangles start to show up in the 60s. But, yeah, it, it just seems to curtail itself to whatever era we're in and in our understanding of our place in the universe the 70s were a really weird time for abductions and a lot of them go like under not underreported but just they're not talked about you know pascagoula that has got to be uh the pascagoula abductions uh uh charles hickson and calvin parker holy crap those yes. beings um let's let's see the descriptors uh they had they were like five feet tall had wrinkly skin, which makes me always think of the Michelin Man. <laughs> and then they had like carrot-like appendages on their head. They had lobster claws and elephant feet. I don't even know where you begin with that. Um, yeah, and it it gets weirder and weirder. There's there's a case that I talk about on Patreon on my Patreon. It'd actually be a, a free episode, so everybody will be able to check it out. But it's the abduction of this man named Lee Parrish. He was abducted in uh, Kentucky in 1977, and he was abducted by machine-like beings. He was driving home from a friend's house late at night. And he gets taken up into, aboard this craft. And what he sees before them is this really large black, um, it almost looks like a wall to his left. He sees this white machine in front of him, and then he sees this red one on his right. And they do these experiments on, on him with these arms that are attached. And then they deposit him back in his truck like 30-some-odd minutes later. It is one of the weirdest cases I have ever read uh i did one on i did an episode on the david stevens abduction which the beings in that had mushroom shaped heads with they had really large kind of black eyes with white pupils and they had webbed hands they the 70s are just weird (laughs) (laughs) oh i love it yeah and then when you 
then when you transition into the 80s, you get these archetypal grays and like kind of the similar looking grays. And it, it, it seems like, you know, Whitley Strieber kind of just popularized the these beings and that's what everybody interacted with. But that's not always the case. And I mean, right. even in your even in your book, you've taught you've talked to people who reported very, very strange looking beings that uh, I've never come across before or since. So there's definitely a variety, uh, but I I do think it's a phenomenon that shapes itself around our, not worldview, but our view of the universe and everything around us. So yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the weird features of the phenomenon, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, and I love that about it. It's extremely amorphous. It, it, it tries to relate to maybe you know what's going on in our society and culture at the time, just to have some sort of resemblance, you know, to communicate something to us. What that is, I have no idea. When it comes to a mushroom head and black eyes or lobster claws, but at the end of the day, like that's what it is. And that's what it's, you know, trying to, that's what it's showing us. And it's up to us how we interpret that and how we give it meaning and purpose, I think. So, yeah, it's fascinating. So Rosie's next question is, in the history of public acceptance of sighting claims, it seems like things are changing, less belittling and teasing and fewer mocking news stories. I give credit to millennials who tend to honor everyone's different perspective, journey than previous generations. There's lots of good with this. It's exciting to watch the shift in the waters. But how do you both see that this could also cause problems? How do we proceed with caution and not end up reaffirming to the less invested public that this phenomenon is something silly? Ooh, that was a marathon. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's a tough one just because there's always going to be an element of this phenomenon that's just not going to be taken seriously by whatever groups of people it might be maybe the older crowd is definitely not open to it and the younger crowd is but you're always going to have a large to me a large portion of the population that is not even going to consider this an actual thing i i don't think it's any particular one thing uh that is going to prevent people from you know looking into this anymore because like if you if you look at the crazy cases of the 70s compared to now a lot of ufo sightings are i would say tamer mm-hmm. at least in in the public like we don't hear an awful lot about abduction reports today right um and and i think you know maybe that has something to do with the fact that you know those that were investigating it um were very you know they tried to keep a a, a public face about themselves and you don't have as much of that anymore i mean like kathleen martin's doing great work with mufon but that's with mufon it's it, it's not going beyond that right. so i think largely it's you know part of it comes down to who's who's now shaping this phenomenon the people that are bringing this uh, information to the public you know it, it's being i think reshaped by different people but i don't think there's any going to be any major block or any major thing to prevent people from you know even considering this it's just going to come down to the perspectives mm-hmm. of the that these people have I agree. Yeah. And I think another big thing is we spend so much time trying to legitimize the topic with credible cases like what To the Stars is doing, bringing military footage to the public of like very highly advanced aircraft that pilots 
are witnessing, you know, some of the most credible witnesses we could possibly have. And yeah, that's what's getting out to the mainstream right now and making it more acceptable. But it's a double-edged sword because you and I both know that what for every military witness there is, there's also a civilian witness seeing super batshit crazy stuff. And we can't yeah. we can't ignore that. You know, we can't no. play it down because we're doing a disservice but to both the witness, their testimony, and to the phenomenon. You know, again, we're not dealing with just fucking metal saucers zipping through the air. We're dealing with every type of phenomena you can possibly think of, possibly interconnected with other things uh, that are happening to people. So I, I do wonder, you know, a as the topic becomes more mainstream and possibly acceptable, what about all the really, really weird stuff that's going on? Is that hmm. going to sort of teeter off and we're only going to look at these reports that are being given to us through, ready, Rob, drip, drip, disclosure? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to really say because, like, when I, when I do look at these, like, the the cases that are, you know, the, the, the ones that – People cite from 2000 to 2018. I just, they are very tame. Yeah. Even for, even for Commander David Fravor's story. Because, like, the video that's been provided is not, it's not a video from his plane. It's a video from another plane that went out later that day. So, for me, it, it, it's just, it's so tame right now. That it that it just doesn't seem like there would be a lot of barriers to to being open to this. I it's just it's changed so much just in the people that have investigated it, the people have who have reported it to the public. So in all honesty, maybe it's the the fact that it's not it that we're trying to make it a public thing again. Mm -hmm. At least to the star seems to you know be trying to make this a public thing, although. I don't think we can do what Tom DeLong thinks you can and just strong arm the government into releasing all of this information. That's not how it works. And like you could go to jail for that if you just, you know, released information <laughs> without without getting, you know, without getting it declassified. So it's really tough. I oh. Yeah. I, I, I don't really know, you know, like like beyond that it's just we don't have those like killer cases like we used to. I know. And maybe and maybe it's just because we don't have the investigators out in the field doing this as much. Yeah, that that, that could think, be it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it seems to have teetered off, like Cheryl Costa's analysis would tell us. But yeah, we don't have Roswells. We don't have Rendlesham's. We don't have those anymore. But who knows? Maybe maybe we'll get one. Or maybe 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 this is it. Maybe yeah. we have to accept the sobering and depressing fact that UFO phenomenon might might be coming to an end. Uh, I know millions of people who would disagree with me and say it's still happening every day, and maybe it is. Maybe mm -hmm. it is. I, I don't know. All right. Here's another one for you, my man. Um, considering your first time on my show, we talked all about the men in black. Uh, this mm -hmm. question comes from Val. She asks, why is it that MIBs, assuming they're connected, are so often out of date, but only in a past but never future manner, such as their clothes, their speech, their mannerisms? Do they actually not know when they're coming from? 
here, or are they making a point that they're not from our time or possibly outside of it? That's a loaded question, but really, I, I, I get what she's saying. You know, like they, you talked even about like how weird and strange the men in black seem to be and disconnected from the present time they're in and even like simple human mannerisms at times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what do, you, what do you make of all that? Either they're the best actors that we have on this planet and they just act in these really odd ways. And, and, and we also have to take into consideration here, too, is that the men in black phenomenon as it is, is such a varying phenomenon. Sometimes it's somebody who acts definitely like a government agent is just saying, Hey, shut the hell up or we'll take care of you. (laughs) As opposed to like the, the Herbert Hopkins type encounters or the Shane Sovar type encounters that appear to be maybe, you know, beings from some other time or place or planet or whatever it's such a varying topic in terms of why they dress and what the vehicles they drive and all that stuff it could be just a yeah it could be that disconnect between hey we're we're not from around here and uh <laughs> We we we, we kind of want to you know give you a clue as to that because I mean like there are even cases reported of, of abduction cases where people see aliens wearing very strange and out of place outfits like uh, Whitley Strieber's there uh, his last encounter in the bedroom when he asked for quote unquote confirmation there was an alien wearing a double breasted suit so <laughs> nice. And I mean, um, that fancy uh, motherfucker. Yeah, right. And there's uh, um, uh, because when I had Rich Haddam on to talk about abductions, he pointed out this one letter that uh, Whitley and Ann got in the communion letters where this I believe it was a woman, but it was it was hard to tell because the you couldn't totally make out gender in every letter. But this one woman claimed to see uh, on board this craft an alien wearing a World War One style helmet with a green trench coat. So hmm. <laughs> you have that kind of weird stuff, uh, you know, all over the place. As to its significance, it's tough to say. You you could speculate all day long that it's it may be just the they have uh, out of date fashion styles. I don't know. They could they could uh, they could just be you know trying to get that signal across that we're not from around here and and we don't we just kind of want to tip you off about that or or whatever. It's it's such a a varied thing. So it could be a number of things. But yeah. It makes for it makes for entertaining stories. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, absolutely! It keeps us going. You know, I, I still yeah. go back to uh, you know Paul Cornell's Saucer Country, Saucer State comic book series, where I mm-hmm. think it's the the military uh, playing pranks on people. You know, I love right. that the entire Men in Black phenomenon is just a prank that they play to uh, entertain themselves. So maybe they're maybe it's something like that too. I don't know. Yeah, it, it yeah, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so our next question comes from Scott, and he wants our takes on the Aztec case of 1948. So are you familiar with this one at all? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit familiar with it. Me um, too. Probably not as much as I should be, but I've got some thoughts on it. Well, what do you think? The, the, the interesting thing is, is like if we look at the highly publicized crash cases, so 
I mean, we could quote uh, a couple of them off the off the cuff here. Um, Kexburg, we, you know, it, that happened in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Roswell, which took, if you think about it, over forty years to actually, and maybe even longer than that. I think it was like more towards the fiftieth anniversary that it really kind of just blew up. But yeah, I remember being a kid and like it was the fact that it ended up on unsolved mysteries that people just started taking an interest in this case. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stanton Friedman was there in 78 when somebody just, you know, happened to mention, oh, oh, you should go talk to Jesse Marcel. Okay, great. But it took forever for that case to come about. And, um, even, um, the Cape Girardeau crash. I mean, Dean Alioto was talking about that on your show and, and how he's looking into that case. And, there's a woman named uh, Linda Wallace who's been looking into that case for uh, years, interviewing alleged eyewitnesses to it. And uh, she actually put out a great book called Covert Retrieval a few years ago. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in the Cape Girardeau crash, which happened in, in 41, you know, six years before Roswell. Before Roswell, yeah. 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 Go check out that book. It's a, it's a really great book. Uh, with Aztec, it's it was ruled a hoax and now – it's not a hoax, and it's it's kind of confusing. But to begin with, it, it it started with Frank Scully and his book uh, was it Behind the Flying Saucer. Yes, yep. And he reported, I, I think, a number of crashes in there, but one of them was the Aztec New Mexico crash. And then it turned out that uh, there were two individuals, uh, Silas Newton and uh, Leo Gabauer. They it was claimed that they made up this story. And in order to sell fake UFO wreckage. <laughs> <laughs> they were known con men at this point. They too. were. They were. But, you know, that's where Scully said he got his story from. And, you know, a few years ago, um, Scott and Suzanne Ramsey uh, put out this book, you know, the Aztec UFO incident, I believe it is. And, you know, they talked to numerous eyewitnesses. I'm kind of on the fence of it, about it. You know, it's it's interesting, but like, how do we go from hoax to l- legitimate here? Yeah, it usually goes the other way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I don't know what to make of it, and it's what's even more interesting is that it happened in New Mexico only less than a year after Roswell. So a lot of people just believe this was, they were trying to bank off of Roswell and be like, Oh, we're, we had a crash too, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. Again, it it was proven a hoax almost from the start. I don't know. I, I will be honest. I have not read the book by the Ramsey, so I cannot definitively say if it's a hoax or not, clearly. But mm-hmm. there are those out there who who do believe it. Stan Friedman is open to the to possibility that it, it could have happened. But um, yeah, I, I don't put much stock in the Aztec case, to be honest. I, I think we have much better cases with documentation and way more evidence that something actually happened. Yeah, and I mean, even the the uh, Cape Girardeau crash, there's allegedly a photograph of these people holding up an alien. Whether that exists, truly exists, I don't know. And, like, here's to to kind of put this into perspective, okay? If we're, if we're talking about Aztec right now, it, it was ruled a hoax. That, that kind of, you know, puts a big, you know, X in it for me. 
as opposed to Cape Girardeau, which initially came forward from a third-hand source, not even the second-hand source, mm-hmm. a third-hand source. You know, it came forward from Charlotte Mann, who was, I believe, the granddaughter of Reverend William Huffman, who... You know, Huffman told his story to his wife and then his wife on her deathbed told it to Charlotte Mann. So in any case, I believe that one a little bit more than I do Aztec. And and we're talking about your yeah, sort- testimony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that That's a really good point, though, man. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I suggest people check that out. The Cape Girardeau case in Missouri, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, that's another really good one. Shag Harbor as well, which will be coming up the anniversary in October. That's a, that's a good one out of Nova Scotia. All right, here we go. I've been waiting for this one. This one comes from a listener, Chris. He would like to know what the both of us think about the Billy Meyer case. <laughs> yes, I really hope Michael Horn is listening to this. I'm going to have to tag him in the episode. I've read that it's all been a big hoax, Chris says, yet it spawned this hippy-dippy starseed astro-healing movement that just seems so damn delusional to me. (laughs) That's a really good descriptor. Kudos on that, Chris. Yeah, so I've I've definitely got an answer for this one. But, Rob, what what do you make of the entire Billy Meyer affair? The one-armed Swedish farmer. I'll I'll try to... Uh, keep it simple. I think he's uh, 100% bullshit, but <laughs> for me, the thing about Billy Meyer is they, his photos are hoaxed. 100%. They've proven that, yeah. that, that they found the model. I mean, it's, it's like Ed Walters, except like Mufon determined that the model was not his or whatever. Bill, for Billy Meyer, it was. And I think what we also have to take into consideration is like, Despite being this this uh, hippy dippy kind of dude, he has some very racist leanings. And if you go and you read some of his stuff, it is definitely racist. So definitely don't put stock into him. And 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 I'm gonna kind of go on a, a a a little maybe a little tirade here. And like that's for, what tonight's for, man. Take a drink. Well, you know, this is going to this is going to alienate a certain sect of people and uh this is going to an- alienate uh X-Files watchers. Um oh my god. Post- I'm going to hang yeah. up on you. No, 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 no. Just hear me out. Hear me out. Okay, okay. So so I don't think a lot of people realize that the poster on the wall that says I want to believe that's a Billy Meyer photo on that. It is. <laughs> it's in my living room right now framed. Yeah, and like Take into consideration, like, the words I want to believe and the fact that the photo, is it's pulling the rug out from underneath your eyes. <laughs> do you think Chris Carter meant to do that? Maybe. I, you know. Or he I, was like, I, oh, that's a really good photo. It's very clear. Let's use that. I don't know. I mean, I mean it depends on how much, you know, how into the phenomenon you think Chris Carter was. And, right. like, I don't think he was into it as much as, like, you know, people may make out to be, but it's like one of those things where like that show promoted that phrase. I want to believe. And I believe, I believe that phrase has been damaging, yeah. at least in terms to like the public perception of, of UFOs. Belief has nothing at all to do with this phenomenon. Belief does not confirm or deny the existence of anything. So, if you're going around saying, 
uh, I want to believe. Get that out of your vocabulary. <laughs> I'm just going to say it now. Get it out of your vocabulary if you want to take this seriously. And the other phrase that uh, I, I rail against from the X-Files that has embedded itself into popular culture, the truth is out there. I don't think for one second, like when anybody says we're looking for the truth, that may be true, but you need clues before you even get to the truth. I don't even think we have a damn clue at this point, but don't jump the shark to say, hey, we're looking for the truth. Now get a clue first and then we'll look for the truth. (laughs) Welcome to X-Files Bashing Hour with Rob Christofferson. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I I do love the X Files. When I whenever I want to get romantic about UFOs, I go watch the X Files. Of course, man. Of yeah. course, you're a shipper. I, I get go, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, whenever I need to reconnect with life, I throw on Jose Chung's from Outer Space because I believe it's the best episode of television ever produced. <laughs> it's that great to me. So I don't hate the X Files. I hate what the X-Files has embedded into popular culture. Let me just put it that way. And and if we're being uh if we're going to cite anything here, I do believe it was Richard Doty that said he worked on the X-Files and that he even wrote a couple episodes of the X-Files. So, if that's any indication there. Right. You know. Our favorite disinformation agent for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he very well could be listening to this. I I like Doty. I I'm he's grown on me a lot and he supports my work and uh I'm going to have to get him on the show at some point. But, uh, you know, before we leave both Billy Meyer and the X-Files, I always found it very ironic that the truth is out there was their slogan. And then their other slogan was trust no one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that always really threw me. I'm like, hmm, wh- which do I which do I go with here? Um, but that yeah. was kind of the point of the show. So, so, all right, going back to the Billy Meyer case, it is so wrought with contention that it makes my heart burn. I get so much indigestion just when I hear this. You know, he's claimed contact experiences with humanoid beings since the age of five. He claims Mm -hmm. to be a prophet. He started a religious movement. He's apparently super racist, which I didn't know about. And he has produced many photos and videos, like you said, that have been proven to be hoaxed. This Mm -hmm. dude, Michael Horn, appears out of nowhere and becomes the official spokesperson for Billy Meyer. And, all right, man, this is... I kind of made this connection not too long ago, and I know I'm not the first to make it, so I don't pretend to be all smart about it, but this is Scientology all over again, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. The Billy Meyer followers, it is a cult. I will say Mm -hmm. that. And I'm sorry to anyone who listens to this show that believes in this case. This is a cult. Meyer is L. Ron Hubbard. And his religion was hijacked by Horn, who is David yeah. Miscavige, if oh, you think yeah. about it. You know, he's made it into a money-making venture. He is taking the belief system of people, and he is exploiting it to the nth degree. That's it. You know, at yeah. going so far as to have absolutely no reliability in claiming that any photo or video that Billy Meyer has is real. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone under the sun, every photo analysis, every video person has said these are hoaxes, these are models. And Horn cannot argue that. He really can't. And it sucks. And the minute that a researcher argues it, 
you get gang stalked. You get you get attacked online. You know they they say that we're part of the problem. We're the disinformation people. Why can't we just accept this man's story? And I'll tell you why. Because it's all fake. Yeah. Billy Myers' wife came forward and said, "Oh yeah, the models were all over the place. You know these are not real. So aesthetically pleasing, yes." Great for an X-Files poster? Yeah, definitely. Have I used them as my cover photo on Facebook? Yep. But (laughs) at the end of the day, I don't believe a goddamn word that comes out of Billy Meyer's mouth or Michael Horn's mouth. And I'm going to leave it at that when it goes to this one. Yeah, that's that's a good place to leave it. And you know what? Don't anybody pick it up. Just don't pick it up. Don't. Don't lick UFOs either. No, don't do it. You you know what? You're going to have a worse time than anybody from Rendlesham or Cashlandrum. You're going to you're going to burn your tongue off, okay? <laughs> Bye tongue. Well, he also brings up while Billy Meyer is silly and delusional and the case is ridiculous, he brings up that a lot of people believe this other ridiculous case and this is one you've covered, the Joe Simonton case. Pancake aliens. Oh man, like you know, I don't. I don't like to prejudge people, but if if, uh, if some Italians gave me some some pancakes, you know, uh, that that case is so crazy. And I mean, like, it it occurred the same year that Betty of Barney Hill's abduction did. For right. All, you know, and here's the thing: sixty-two-year-old chicken farmer sitting down to brunch at eleven o'clock in the morning. Here's this sound, and he goes outside and he sees this. You, this uh, it would probably be like a saucer. Two, he he described the UFO as two saucers uh, connected by a depression ring that had like these six inch diameter pipes that were going all around it. And this hatch opens, and he sees what he describes as three five foot Italian looking aliens with mesmerizing eyes wearing onesies, and they want water. <laughs> So he trades them water for some what he calls pancakes, even though I would call them cookies. And he gave me a salute with the back of his hand, a gesture of thanks, I presume. And then, uh, well, I gave him my salute. What am I going to do? I noticed this little man, the uh, same size of a man, right to the side, the right side of the hatchway, cooking uh, cooking these pancakes, which I have one here yet. He, were, he was frying these, these pancakes, and... Uh, I pointed to him and made a gesture like eating. I thought maybe I'd get a conversation out of him. Nobody was saying anything. But he, uh, he didn't say a word. He just reached over and he got a handful of them, four of them, and he handed them down to me. And, uh, they were hot and greasy. And with that, he reached up and he closed his hatch with a heavy thud click-like and it latched. And, uh... With that, the thing started to raise, just like it came down. Everything was timed perfect. It went up about 20 feet. It tilted a 45-degree straight south and shot off. And within uh, two or three seconds, it was out of sight. Well, there I stood in the driveway with a handful of greasy pancakes and my mouth open, wondering what the heck I saw, what had happened. But, you know what? You were about to sit down to brunch... I understand why you call them pancakes. Heck yeah. How they, ta- they taste? They taste like cardboard. Okay. 
cool. Here's the thing about that case. That case is charming as hell, as opposed to Billy Meyer, who is not charming in the slightest. <laughs> Joe Simonton, I would listen to that man if he was still alive today. Tell me all about his, his alien pancakes. I, I don't like to put a lot of stock into into belief, but listening to Joe Simonton, I believe that he did get some pancakes from some Italian-looking aliens who had mesmerizing eyes, and they just wanted some water. I'm going with it. I don't care. And one of the coolest things that's coming out this year, I, I, I believe it's still coming out this year. I had John Tenney on my podcast. He has written a children's book about this case. Oh, my coming God. Out. Yeah, that is coming out later this year, and it's all about Joe Simonton, and uh, he even has a recipe in there for these uh, space pancakes, and, and he has instructions for children to submit uh, FOIA requests. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it, it, if anything... If anything, this this case got more charming just based on that. So I will believe Joe Simonton all day long. I love it. I love it, man. And you and I are going to make a trip to Wright Patterson, and we're going to bring. Are you an Aunt Jemima oh. guy or a Mrs. Butterworth? Um, I could go either way. I either? really could. Okay. All right, we'll bring both <laughs> yep. just to be safe. <laughs> all right, moving on from alien pancakes to the paranormal. Jamie asks, what are our thoughts on how the paranormal and the UFO phenomenon might be related? This is a I really mean, tough one. We could talk in a whole episode about this one. Well, and that's the thing. It's like when you look at the cases where paranormal activity was associated with UFOs, you know, you go to the Mothman sightings and there was a ton of that happening where people were seeing UFOs. They were getting these really weird phone calls and then all of a sudden they had poltergeist-like activity in their house. You have Skinwalker Ranch where there was poltergeist activity happening inside the house while there were UFOs seen. Uh, there was interdimensional uh, Bigfoots and uh, Skinwalkers and everything else that's going on and I can't wait for that documentary by Jeremy Corbell that comes out in September. It's going to be dope. There's, I don't know if it's just that it draws in that type of activity or if it's an extension of that activity because if you look at uh for instance um a uh, case that i'm going to be covering is the 1973 case from pennsylvania where this farmer and two kids walk up walk up upon two bigfoot approaching a ufo okay yeah and apparently there are numerous cases like that in pennsylvania Seth Breedlove did uh, the uh, uh, invasion on Chestnut Ridge, which, yeah, which is where all that stuff apparently happens. They have a ton of cases like this. Even Ancient Aliens had an episode about Bigfoots and UFOs. (laughs) I just saw that the other day. They had a marathon (laughs) and uh, just happened to be watching it. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. (laughs) But again, man. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, even some of the people in my book, they they claimed that after a UFO event, it just opened the floodgates to everything, mm-hmm. you know? The yeah. Patty Donahue case with the her younger daughters that had experiences with her in their home, after the UFO event and a possible contact experience in the home with a gray being they had poltergeist activity they had really high strangeness things going on to the point where they had to have a uh, a person an electrician come to the home because so much weird activity was going on and the guy experienced it while he was there and he 
told Patty, I am never coming back here again. I will send another tech. Good luck and goodbye. So, <laughs> yes, you know, we hear all the time that after a UFO event, there are, there are so many other things that happen. And whether it is connected or not, I don't know. But I think once your mind has been open to one thing, it's only going to be open to others. And that may, again, be inextricably linked with these phenomena, whether paranormal, ufological, whatever. It's just going to open up doors that you might not want opened, but uh, it's crazy. So do I think they're connected? Yes and no. Um, I think some might be, some might not be, some might just be aliens, and some might be something we can't even begin to fathom. So, Yeah, and I mean, like, even if you look at, like, the really odd hotspots around the United States... You've got the Bridgewater Triangle area where all that stuff is kind of taking place in one area. You have, um, I would put Central Kentucky on that map just because, you know, I've I've been talking to people and they talk about how there is so much, there's a concentration of so much different stuff in that area that it's just so varied. You know, um, what um, Chuck Zikowski was talking about uh, on the 37th parallel, I think yeah. a lot of it does occur on the 37th parallel, you know. But uh, what is it about these areas that makes it unique to all of this phenomenon occurring at the same time? What was it about Point Pleasant and the Ohio Valley in 66 and 67 that made it so attractive to all this type of different stuff? That's the kind of crap that keeps me up at night, man. <laughs> I know. I, absolutely. I mean, you could go so far as, you know, the, uh, the is it East City? The East City Ranch yeah. as well in Washington. Like, what is with, or the Heseltine Lights in, is it Norway, I believe? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like, what is it about these areas, Brown Mountain even, where these weird phenomena seem to, to happen? Chestnut Ridge, you got Bigfoot, you got ghosts, you got aliens, you got everything. What is it? What is what makes it happen there? I don't know. Are we dealing with ley lines? Are we dealing with some sort of uh, some sort of natural resources that these things are feeding off of from the planet? I don't know. I don't know. But right. it's uh, fascinating. Could it, could it just be sim- something as simple as water? Water does seem to factor into it. And I covered uh, the Charlie Red Star sightings on Patreon, and uh, I had. Amber and Andrew from Into the Portal on to talk about that. And I asked him, because this is all in Manitoba. And Manitoba in Canada is a hotspot for Mm -hmm, UFOs. mm -hmm. And the only conclusion that I could come up with is water. Because if you look at Manitoba on a map, it's just a ton of water everywhere. So maybe it could be water. It definitely seems to play a part. It very well could be, especially if you're, you know, a non-human intelligence coming to a planet that is mostly water. It's like, oh, you like they really must depend on this stuff. Let's see what this is all about. You, you mm-hmm. gotta wonder. You do have to wonder. All yeah. right, man. Well, we are on our last question, and it comes from our mutual friends over at the Double Density Podcast. And they want to know, what do we believe is the biggest misconception with ufology and its related research? I've got one sort of sentence for this, and it is the ETH hypothesis. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> oh, I stole your thunder. No, but it's no, good no, that we're on the same good. page. Yeah, you know, as UFO researchers, I mean the biggest misconception, 
every day when someone when I tell them I'm a UFO researcher, they're like, oh, aliens. I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That's not what I said. I said UFOs. I yeah. study UFOs. I don't study aliens. That's up to biologists and scientists and, you know, <laughs> alien <laughs> theorists. I look at UFO reports, UFO activity, the witnesses who experienced that. Do I dive into abductions? Yeah, of course I do all the time. But I think the biggest misconception is that when we study ufology, that it is aliens only. And everyone does that. Everyone makes that mistake. I make it myself all the Mm -hmm. time. All the time. I, I, you know, I put on Twitter, I'm doing a UFO thing, and I use the little alien emoji, and every time I'm like, God damn it, why did I do that? You could use the UFO emoji, dude. Easily. Why did you do that? <laughs> easily. And, you know, I have a, um alien emoji pillow right next to me right now, and I'm like, why do I do this to myself? You know, I'm touting <laughs> that UFOs might not be alien, yet I've got all this alien shit everywhere. But um, the emoji's cute. I like it. <laughs> it's it's no Italian pancake making alien, but it's cute. But yeah, wh- so you you would agree that the ETH seems to be the biggest misconception? Oh yeah, and I mean it's been pushed into popular culture for so long now, and like I've I've asked I've asked around because um, to to me you got to kind of understand the time periods in which you're dealing with, and and I've asked people is like in the eighties was was there a lot of this you know alien head kind of stuff that was you know people were peddling around and they're all like no that didn't start until the 90s you know the late 90s so you know it's become so prevalent in pop culture that they are synonymous it's it's aliens aliens you know ride around in ufos they're the ones piloting the ufos so it's automatically that connection, but we don't know what's what the UFOs are. We don't even know if they have pilots. We don't even know if they're physical things. We don't know what we don't know. And I feel like I I, I quoted Rumsfeld, and I didn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Yeah, but I mean, like whenever anybody said, whenever anybody um and and it happens sometimes ask me what is a ufologist the only answer i can give them is it's an expert in speculation that is what a ufologist is, <laughs> is that oh my god i love that <laughs> i'm gonna get that put on my business cards <laughs> yeah ryan sprague expert in speculation oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah man it, it's again you're right it, it is it, it's become such a a meme in popular culture and i don't know if we're ever going to shake it but it really could begin with changing the acronym of ufo and it really could begin when we get past the fact that these craft or these things we're seeing might not be piloted by anything they very well could be some sort of remote controlled thing from another dimension or planet or anything it could be anything at this point yeah and i mean like even if you look at you go back to 48 and you look at the Gorman dogfight. That wasn't a UFO. It was essentially a really. It was like a six-inch light that he was, yeah. you know, uh, you know, going back and forth with. It's not always, uh, you know, a saucer or it's not always a disc-shaped craft. That's not always what it is. Sometimes it's just an orange light, or sometimes you know, it's a it's a black triangle. It's so varied that we we don't know anything and. It's it's not like you can hail them down and they're going to come and they're going to get and whatever's in there is going to get out and want to talk to you. They they haven't wanted to talk to us for years, except for some people who they have apparently talked to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I haven't had a conversation with Ashtar, but, you know, some people have. And 
And, you know, I, I, maybe I would like to know how Indrid Cold is doing these days, but, you know, I'm not the person that's going to be interacting with them. But at the end of the day, when you don't know anything, you're just you're just speculating that they're piloted by aliens. Yeah, that's that's it. So, like, when you hear UFO, just think of it as something that appears to be it appears to be so varied that we we don't know a damn thing about it. All we just know is that people see stuff and then they tell other people about it and they've been doing this since the 40s. That's it. Yep. I love it. That is the most that is the most succinct way I think we could say it, man. People see stuff and they tell people about it. Yeah. <laughs> that it. is UFO reporting. That is the UFO phenomenon in a nutshell. I can't think of a better <laughs> way to sort of sort of end it there, my man. Woo, that was a marathon. I can't believe we it got was. through that. I'm a little drunk and for some reason <laughs> I really want pancakes right now. But um <laughs> I I mean, you know, if you could find a Denny's, there might be an Italian look an alien that'll be able to mix you mix you up some they might be there i'm not shitting you i can see a denny's from my window it's two blocks from my apartment <laughs> perfect man perfect oh uh, they they saw me coming i'm about to drop some mad bills over there but before we go my man please tell us what you got coming up over at the our strange skies podcast what we can expect and where we can find it sure right now planning a bunch of mini episodes because i'm in the stages of researching roswell which is something that i am begrudgingly why would you do that to yourself i know i'm begrudgingly doing because it's just it it feels like something that you have to get out of the way but we, we got roswell coming down the pike i got a great series of episodes uh that detail how the craziness that was the years 65 to 67 That'll be coming up, and uh, uh, I've got a few interviews lined up, but uh, if you're interested, we are available on every single platform from Apple Podcasts all the way to Spotify. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, I am at Our Strange Skies, and we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group over there, and uh, we also have an Instagram page uh, at Our Strange Skies, so... Also, yeah, and a Patreon as well, right? Yeah, yes, we do have a Patreon. If you want uh, some bonus content where we look at UFOs in other countries, because primarily I do the United States. So we got a couple of uh, great episodes about um, the Falcon Lake incident and uh, the Charlie Red Star sightings. And uh, there's going to be a bunch of other stuff that's coming up over there. So. Definitely go check that out. Awesome, man. Well, I want to thank our friends at Double Density, Rabbit Hole Motel, uh, Into the Portal. It's They all contributed to this and to all the listeners for sending in questions. This has been so much fun. I can't wait to do this again with you, Rob. And I have to Absolutely. thank you, brother, for, for taking the time to do this, knocking back a Labatt with me, and just <laughs> shooting the shit. Because like you said, Absolutely. people see things and people tell people. <laughs> Take us to your president We bear tidings from the moon At the rate our people breed We've too many mouths to feed We may be among you soon Take us to your president We've a growing rate of birth 
We just sit around and moon, cause there's no more room to swoon by the light of yonder earth. So send us surplus potatoes, some meat and tomatoes, just help us however you please. If we can't persuade you, we'll have to invade you. Now you know why we are here and the reason we've been sent. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Welcome to the Kryptonaut Podcast, hosted by Mark Storrs, Chris Carnicelli, Rob Morphy. Join us weekly as we explore everything from aliens, cryptozoology, the occult, ghosts, Paranormal phenomenon, ufology, and unsolved mysteries. All while keeping a close eye on our reptilian overlords that dwell in the flat, hollow, robot-infested Earth. This is the Kryptonaut Podcast. We are available at kryptonautpodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.